0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jordan Rippey, and I'm so excited for you to hear this message from Than and Grapham. Than and Megan are the founders of Hope Project International. They do work all around the world, and we partner with them in the country of Nicaragua. You can be part of that work by giving generously in our legacy offering on Sunday, December 4th. That day, all of the funds that we receive in our legacy offering will go toward building a church in Japone, Nicaragua please begin to prayerfully consider how you can be a part. Well, I have to say, and I'm probably pretty biased here, but I believe I have the best job in the world. Uh, My wife and I, together, we get to go to these obscure places in the world and we get to sit down with pastors and Christian leaders and say, what has God given you for your community? What's the burden? What's the vision? What's the goal? And then we get to figure out how to resource that. And sometimes then we get to drive to places like Sarasota, Florida, and we get to walk into Harbor Church and have a conversation like we just had, where we find out God is going to meet the need this way through this church. God is going to build a church there. And I don't have to raise the money for it. That's like the best part. You guys are going to do that. And so it's awesome. And we're, it's a kind of an extra exciting thing. You know, Pastor Jordan mentioned a few times that we've been a part of this since the beginning. I feel like we've seen Harbor Church from like an idea to a dream, to a vision, to a mission, And now to a space that we can walk into on a Sunday morning together and worship God. And that's incredible. That's inspiring. That's exciting. And it's also rare. It's a rare thing to see something go from an idea all the way to, all the way through. I don't have pet peeves in life. I don't try to, like, nurture my annoyances. But if I had a pet peeve, it would be the amount of people that have come up to me and said, you know, I've always wanted to do this. It's always been my dream to do that. It's my passion. One day I'm going to do that. Yet I don't see any action behind the passion. That would be a pet peeve of mine. But in this place, we've seen it go all the way through. And so I'm excited to be here. Um, I, I see this place as a place that can change the world. This house, the people in here right now, world changers, that can impact the world we live in in such a way that change takes place. And so I just have a few minutes today, a few things I want to share. And I just want to somehow increase our capacity to change the world. That's my only goal, that when you walk out of here today, whatever capacity you had to change the world, it's just a little bigger, okay, just a little bigger. Uh, for my wife and I, if you were to ask us our story, if you were to say, hey, tell me your story, like the whole thing, it would, both of us would start with the phrase, when I was 12 years old. When we were 12 years old, something happened in our lives that set us on the course that literally has led us to this moment. And we've stayed on that course. My wife, she has an awesome story. She went to a kid's camp. She was 12 years old during camp, at night, at the night service. The speaker spoke, and she said, I think God has something for my life. I need to step into it. And at 12 years old, she stepped into it. And her story is that ever since that day, she served God. Her story doesn't involve, then I walked away from the Lord, then I made some bad choices, then I kind of fell out of relationship. Every day since she's 12, she's served the Lord. For me, when I was 12, uh, my story is my parents took me to New York City. Anyone ever been to New York City? You guys been? Okay. They didn't take me to like, the nice parts to like, see anything special. All right, My parents took me to the ghetto, straight up. They took me to Brooklyn. They took me to Bed-Stuy in Bushwick. Yeah, they did. That's it. Well, I'm saying, my parents took me to places Jay-Z raps about, okay? So that's what I'm saying. They took me right there. And they took me there to meet a man named Bill Wilson, who has the largest Sunday school in the world, reaching now reaching hundreds of thousands of kids in Brooklyn and all the boroughs every week. And what they did back then, and, and they just started doing this again after COVID, is they send out buses into the projects into the ghetto, into the the places where kids are are far, far, far away from society. And they put those kids on buses, they bus them in, they tell them about Jesus, they empty the buses, fill them back up. And at 12 years old, I got to go ride one of those buses through Brooklyn, New York. And I got to tell you, I saw some stuff I didn't know existed in the world. I saw crackheads, I saw prostitutes, I saw piles of trash, I saw kids coming out of buildings. One of the very first kids to get on the bus that day walked right up to me and said, what you doing on my bus, white boy? I was like, "Uh, taking you to church? I didn't, I don't know. My parents put me on this bus, right? What am I doing on your bus? Right? And then he started like throwing these gang symbols at me. I was like, like, you're going to hurt yourself, kid. Then he said this. He said, boy, you don't know me. I'll snuff you up. Do you guys know what that means? I don't know what that means. I looked it up on Urban Dictionary one time, actually. It wasn't pretty, but it still haunts me. This kid said, I'm going to snuff you up. And we rode on through more, picking up more kids. But then there was another kid on the bus. His name was Eddie E., and I'll never forget. He sat right in front of me, and he just kind of looked up over at me (laughs) on the bus. His eyes said, what are you doing on my bus, white boy? But he didn't say a word. He just kind of looked at me, and I looked into those eyes. And I just, the word rescue ran through my mind. A 12-year-old boy, I just, rescue, rescue. I don't know what it means. I don't know if this is God speaking to me. I don't know anything about it. I just know in some way, God wants me to rescue children like Eddie E. And that set me on a course my whole life. And I think the greatest thing that trip did for me was at a very young age, I was then, I began to process the feelings and emotions that you get when you're faced with great need. The feelings and emotions you have inside when you see sorrow, when you see despair, when you see people living in a desperate situation. And I've had 30 years of practice since that day of how do I process emotion when I'm faced with great need? And so what I want to talk to about today is, is how do we process the emotions we feel when we're faced with great need? When we hear Pastor Carlos' story, uh, when we build a house for a mom, when we meet someone even in our own community that has great need, what do we do? I think there's different emotions. I think I'm just going to talk about three emotions today, kind of the top three. The first thing I think that we feel when we face great need is pity. All right, everyone say pity. Pity. Pity is kind of a weird one. Pity is kind of just kind of a feeling that comes up in you when you hear someone else's story, and it's usually a bad feeling. And it, pity isn't actually always productive. A lot of times pity is just, I feel bad for that person, and then we move on with our life, right? We don't kind of process it very much. I'll give you a story that can bring some emotion, and this was a long time ago, way before I met my wife. We've been married for 18 years now, but before we met, I was dating a girl, and I broke up with her on her birthday, okay? Straight up. And that wasn't the worst part, okay? I, we didn't see each other that day until like 9 o'clock at night, and that's when I broke up with her, Okay? And then the next day was her birthday party. I still went to it, okay? Yeah, I know. Listen, it gets worse, all right? Listen. At her birthday party, the party, it was her family and my family, and that was it. And there's more, okay? I didn't tell my family we were broken up, but she had told hers, okay? So there's some emotion in the room right now. Most of it's probably (laughs) towards me, but... I'm talking about her. Okay, let's think about her. If you heard that story and you thought, oh, that's terrible, that poor girl. Glad it wasn't me. That's pity. Okay, if you heard that story and you thought, oh, man, that's terrible, but you were laughing. You were. That's pity. Pity is, see, look, that's pity, man. That poor girl, right? Pity is not productive. Even like the most tender, beautiful piece of pity it doesn't always lead to action. So pity is great, but we need to step out of pity. We need to not just pity people. We need to step towards action. I think the next emotion we feel is empathy. All right, Everyone say empathy. All right? Empathy is a little different. Empathy allows you to actually hear about someone's situation and then step into it with them and feel it and process it with them. If they're mad, you get a little mad. You know, If they're sad, man, you might shed a tear. If they're angry, you get mad. You're like, yes, girl, let's go get him. No, okay, let's not go get him. Whatever the situation is, You can feel the emotion alongside that person. And as you begin to feel it and process it with them, that empathy a lot of times will lead to action. That's the good part. You can say, Well, what are we going to do about this together? How can I help you through this? And when you move to action, you get to what I think is the greatest form of emotion that we can feel, and it's compassion. All right, everyone say compassion. All right, compassion is a feeling that arises. It's kind of like empathy. It arises when you hear the story and you're in the moment with that person. But you immediately in your mind begin to think, how can I relieve this person from this suffering? How can I relieve the sorrow? How can I relieve the anxiety? How can I take away the sadness? How can I help them rebuild from this moment? That's compassion. And I think compassion is the greatest way to live with that emotion. As soon as we hear of a need, it's not like, man, glad it ain't me. It's not like, I'll cry with you, but then I got to go to work. It's what can I do to help you in this? And so to kind of process these emotions, I want to show you guys a picture real quick. This is a picture of a lady that we actually built a home for in Nicaragua in October 2017. All right, we built for her. And this is actually a great picture of her. My wife takes incredible photos. This is the best picture of her for the whole week because she was a very sad woman. She was very shy. She was very standoffish. And her story was like heart-wrenching. She actually moved, like Pastor and Slema, out to that community. Not for something good, though. She just had met a boy. And she moved out there to be with that boy. And then she got pregnant. And because of that, her family, where she did live, kind of disowned her. And it wasn't too much longer that then that boy was out of her life. And so she found herself living alone in this place with a brand-new baby. And she lived kind of behind her, what would be her in-law's house. And they had given her a place to live that didn't even include four walls. Like, you could see her bed from multiple places in the yard where she slept at night with her baby. And she had just so much shame. Even as she told her story, she couldn't look at us. Shame, like sorrow, just hurt. And there's actually another picture Megan took that week that shows more of her face. I want to see this next picture of her. You see that look on her face? You can feel it a little more there. And this is the pastor's wife that week that was kind of just taking a picture with her. And when you look at this picture of her Pity would look at this picture and go, man, that's sad. Take it down. I don't want to see it anymore. That's what pity does. Pity's like, how do I get out of this as fast as possible? And even if you look, there's like a space between them. You see the space between them? They're leaned in for the picture. That space is kind of like where pity lives. It's a separation where you can feel something but not get too involved. Empathy, though, when you look at this picture, would then fill that space it would fill that gap. It would put that arm around and say, "Girl, man, your story is sad, but Jesus loves you. You know that? And it doesn't have to be like this anymore." Empathy fills the space that that pity leaves sometimes. But compassion when it sees this picture, it goes, "Wow. You guys built her a house. What else does she need? How's her baby?" How old is the baby now? Does the baby need to go to school? What does that mom need? Is there any way we can take her off of the in-laws and get her her own piece of land? And compassion begins to think outside the box in this woman's life and say, what more can be done for her? And we've got just story after story of of these women, of these people that are living these lives, that compassion is the only thing that can bring them out of it because it's a compassion that comes from Jesus Christ, that comes from our relationship with him. And so I want to look at scripture just for a minute. And I want to kind of ask the question of, if we're going to process our emotions, pity, empathy, compassion, if we're going to work through that, how did God do that? How does God show pity? How does God show compassion? How does God, in the person of Jesus Christ, show empathy? What does it look like? So we're going to go to scripture, and we're going to start with pity, all right? I'm going to actually ask this, okay? We'll just going to see. We're just going to put you on the spot. How many of you guys think God shows pity? Raise your hand. I want to actually see so I know where we're going. Does anyone think God shows pity? Oh, you got one or two. I look at the people. How old are they? How spiritually mature are they? Start to raise your hand now. You won't be judged. But no, does God show pity? I'm not like a Bible scholar, but I looked into this a little bit, and I studied kind of pity in the Bible, and I found about 40 places, mostly in the Old Testament, where pity is either an idea that's brought up or the actual word is there. And pity in the Old Testament, most of it's there. It's kind of used as the same as grace, a grace where someone deserves this type of thing, but pity takes place and they don't receive that type of thing. You see, the Old Testament, it's full of like war. It's full of uh, kind of bad behavior and then the consequences that follow that bad behavior. It's got like this cycle of people, yeah, we live for God. He's our God. And oh, actually, we're going to do this now. And then they end up down here where their lives are being destroyed because of the actions that they made. That's the Old Testament. And in the book of Joel, there's a beautiful picture of pity. This is God showing pity in the book of Joel. And the book of Joel, Joel is prophesying to the tribe of Judah. And at this time, like their southern region, their southern kingdom has just been destroyed over and over again, mostly because of their actions. They turn away from God. An enemy comes in and, and kills and steals and just destroys them. They have famine. They have, uh, they have locusts come in and eat their crops. And, and Joel, Joel is prophesying to them. And he actually, it's really ugly. Chapters 1 and 2 start off terrible. He's saying, hey, the locusts come, and they destroy your land. And then after that, more locusts are going to come, and they're going to destroy your crops. And then after that, a third kind of locust is going to... I didn't know there were three kinds of locusts, but they're going to come, and they're going to destroy whatever might be left. And then even a fourth kind of locust. And then Joel actually starts prophesying and telling them to weep. You guys need to prepare to weep. Your actions are so bad, just get ready to weep. And he, he talks actually about the picture of a woman, a bride wearing a black dress because she's just lost her husband. That's a hard picture. A bride standing there in her dress, but the dress is black because her husband has passed away. But then in chapter 2, things change because they have the opportunity to turn from their ways. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. He begins to tell them, no more weeping, now be glad. No more destruction, now you're going to have life. No more locusts destroying things, now new crops will grow. And God has pity. When he has pity, it's grace upon us where we don't get the thing we deserve. You know, the lady I showed you a picture of, you could look at her and say, well, that's what you get. When you move away from home, and you move in with a boy, and you get pregnant, can I tell you that doesn't help the situation? That's not even pity. That's like before pity. And it's nowhere near compassion. But with, when God shows pity, grace comes, and then empathy and compassion is shown towards his people. And so that's pity. So you got, what, 95% of you got that one wrong? But that's okay. This one's much easier, okay? We're going to talk about empathy and compassion. Does God or God in the person of Jesus show empathy and compassion? Does he? Yes. yes. Okay, yeah, he does. So we're going to look actually we're going to jump to the New Testament and we're going to look at a story you've probably heard before and it's in the book of John, John chapter 11 and it's the story of Lazarus when he dies and is raised from the dead. But if you just know the story like the version that you heard in kindergarten or in kids church or like the song that you love to just sing and cry in the car, you'll miss some points that are very important here. Jesus show is probably the greatest picture of empathy and compassion in the history of world in john chapter 11 and what happens is we know lazarus dies and his sisters mary and martha are distraught they're crushed they're sad this is the greatest distress they've ever felt and jesus wasn't there to help them and actually a group of people come around them there's a whole group of people in bethany that are mourning the death of lazarus they loved him so much And they're crying, and they're crying out, and they're sending news to Jesus, and he doesn't come. And then in chapter 11, Jesus actually comes. And when Jesus arrives in Bethany, Martha runs out and meets him. And she's like, Jesus, where were you? The one you love was sick. You could have done something about it. You let him die. And she's mad. She's angry. She is troubled, and she's crying. And Jesus just spends a moment with her. She goes back to the house. She tells Mary, hey, Jesus is here. He's outside of town. You should go meet him. Mary jumps up, runs out of the house, runs to Jesus. Same situation. Where were you? He was sick. You could have helped him. She's, she's angry, she's troubled, and she's crying. And the whole crowd in the house, when she runs out, thinks that she's going to the tomb. So they follow her. And so Jesus is outside of town with this entire group of people coming at him that are angry, they are troubled, and they're weeping. And this is Jesus' response. It said, Jesus, and we're going to go John... Chapter 11, verse 30. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus and fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing, listen to this. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. This is empathy right here. Jesus is confronted with people that are angry and troubled and weeping. And what does he do? He gets angry, he's deeply troubled, and he weeps with them. He steps into their moment and says, let's do this all together. Let's just get it out of our system. Let's just cry out for a moment. Because the next thing that's coming is Jesus' empathy is going to turn to compassion. in action. And he's going to do something about it. And so Jesus gets up and he's like, where is Lazarus? Take me to the body. They go to the body. They're like, by the way, he's been dead for four days. So mask up, bro. He's stinky. And Jesus doesn't care. He goes to the tomb and he calls out and he does it out loud. He's actually talking to God out loud so everybody can hear it. And the Bible says he's still angry. When he gets to the tomb, Jesus is still angry. And he says, God, I'm going to do this in front of everybody so they can see how great you are. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And his action takes place. The only person in the world that could take this action took it. And Lazarus comes out and is dead no more. That's compassion. Jesus stepped in with empathy, moved to compassion, and did something about it. And so that's what I want you to do. As you're processing, and am I a person that shows pity or empathy of compassion? I want to go back to the lady I showed you earlier, this young woman. We'll just look at the picture of her. I want to tell you kind of the rest of her story. Uh, let's go to the next one where we can see on her face even a little more, her sorrow. So at the end of the week, we had built her house, and we stood in front of it, and we were going to dedicate it to her and say, this is a gift, not from Than and Megan, not from Hope Project, not from the church. This is a gift from God to your family. And she started to tell us her story. And she said, you know, I've been living in this area over here. And we all looked to our left, and we could see where she had been living. Like I said, it didn't even have four walls. It was a bed kind of up on stilts to be kept off the ground. And there was one wall that was metal that was kind of see-through. It was so rusty you could see through it. And then there were two walls that were just bedsheets. Like literally the wind would blow and we would see her, her, her room open up. And she said, that's where I've been sleeping with my one-year-old son. Right there. And she said, when it, when it would rain at night, we would get wet. And when the wind would blow, we would get blown upon And when it was cold out, we would be cold. And it was hot, we were just hot. Every element that is in the world today, we've lived in it in that structure. And she said, in the middle of the night one night, as it was raining, I cried out to God. She cried out and she said, God, I just want a safe, dry place for my baby to sleep. Her one prayer, the only thing she wanted, I want a safe, dry place for my baby to sleep. And in that moment, our entire team broke because we had just been in her brand new house seeing it. And when we walked in, we actually, oh, we all kind of stopped and looked because what was taking place in her brand new house in that moment is this next picture right here. Her baby was literally in a safe, dry place, getting the best sleep of his life. And in that moment, we literally stood in a space where we could look to the left and see her greatest need she ever had and where she cried out to God. And then we could look to the right and see his answer. Right there, we could see the little words she prayed being answered in that new home. And we stood there, and I know that group of people, the only way you're ever going to move from pity to empathy to compassion is to stand in those spaces, is to stand in the moments where you say, God, I see the need, I hear the prayers, but I also see what you're doing, and I think I see the answer right over here. And God, if there's any way I can be a part of the answer, I want to step into it. I believe anyone that was in that circle that day, I could call them today, five years later, and say, remember that lady we built the house for? And they'd say, yes. I would say, she needs this. And they'd say, how much? How do I give? How can I be a part? Can we go and help? Can we do it? Because they've moved to compassion in that situation. And I believe in our lives, if we're obedient and we follow God and we step into it, we can get to a place where we always live a posture of compassion. Not just experience it one time, not just show it sometimes when we have time, but live with just a posture of compassion. How do I help? Where do I help? How do I do it? And so I want to pray for you guys today that you can help move those those emotions. I want you to just close your eyes real quick. And I'm going to pray in a minute, but actually I want to say something before I pray. I didn't get an extra hour of sleep last night because I was awake from like two to three. Praying over this service, it actually got a picture in my head. It was a memory of about 17 years ago, my wife and I were kids pastors and we were doing bus ministry where we're going out picking up kids and bringing them a church and every Saturday was dedicated to bus ministry and we would go out and do bus ministry and some Saturdays we would just try to sign up as many kids for the bus as we could. We'd go out, we'd knock on doors, we'd do different things and there were some Saturdays where eight hours later we hadn't signed up one kid for the bus. We felt defeated, and we would go to church the next day, and guess what? Five new families would have just come to the church that all had kids, and we'd find ourselves like registering new kids that we didn't sign up on the bus the day before. And I just felt in that moment, I thought about Harbor Church, and I just think that as you guys set your hearts and your hands towards the nations, as you reach out to Nicaragua, I believe God is going to give you Sarasota. I believe it. I believe that as you're going out, yeah, yeah. As you're going, as you're saying, this isn't for us. This is for them. God's going to say, well, now here, shepherd them and bring people in the door. And that's how God works. That we put our hearts towards his work, towards his way. And then he does something totally different than we ever expected. And I believe that. And I believe it's not just for this church. I believe it's for the individual. That as you set your hand and your heart towards the nations, God will answer the prayers you have at home the prayers you've been praying at home for your family, for your job, for your situation, for your education, for your future, all the things you've prayed to God about, as you set your eyes on his things, he will answer those prayers. But don't put your eyes on those things. Put them on his things. Let me pray for you guys. Let me just pray. Jesus, we love you so much. And we just thank you for the opportunity to live in this world that you've created and be used by you. God, we want to change it. We want to be a part of what you're doing. So God, in our own lives here today at Harbor Church, God, help us to move in our emotions towards what you have for us, God. God, if we're people that pity is our go-to, God, help us to step away from pity and step into empathy. God, if empathy is our go-to, use us in empathy. God, help us move to compassion. And God, if we're already compassionate people, just help us to live with a a posture of compassion for you, God. And I just pray for this house as it reaches out towards the nations, God, that you will give it this city. They will steward it well, God. And we give you all the glory and all the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen.